Hey, welcome back. I'm Tracy Ramos, and this is Booze Nation, the podcast. And you can find me on the socials, Twitter, B Nation, the PCAST, and at Instagram, Booze Nation underscore podcast. You can also listen at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And now that's out of the way, I want to talk about today's episode, which is about the bear. It's a TV show, it's on Hulu, and so many people in the restaurant and bar industry have been talking about this show. And honestly, I have to say, I was late to the game. I was very late to the bear. Uh, Basically, I really didn't trust anything on TV to get it right. There have been a few movies, a few TV shows here and there about the restaurant industry, and they, they miss it by a mile. You know, every chef is spotless, they're, they're perfect white, the kitchen is super clean, no one is dirty, no spills, nothing is on the floor, and that is bullshit. So I was pretty skeptical of the show. And then I started to see articles in the Atlantic and Bon Appetit and the New York Times about how the bear showed the manic and toxic environment that restaurants can have. And I warmed up to the show and I got hooked and I binged the show in one setting. Yes, that's how good I thought the show was. And more importantly, how I thought the show got it right. And in today's episode, I am talking to San Francisco chef Freedom Reigns. And Freedom has worked in the city at restaurants like Boulevard and Canto, Flower and Water, and now is executive chef at Amano in Hayes Valley. So great to see that, Freedom. Love it. And I think, you know, Freedom and I have known each other for about 10 years. And he would come into a bar I was working at after his dinner shift at Encanto. And he would come in with his bike and ask if he could bring his bike into the bar, which is very polite. Thank you, Freedom. You know, he wouldn't just walk in with his lame ass scooter and leave the fucking thing in the middle of the bar. No, he would not do that. And if you do that, please stop doing that. That is so annoying and rude. So again, thank you, Freedom. And we'd shoot the shit, you know, about Encanto. And, and back at, at that time, um, we spent some time making fun of millennials because they really didn't know what gluten was, but somehow they knew they didn't like it and they didn't want to eat it. And um, I just remember those conversations about millennials and gluten. Um, so right now, we're just going to jump right into the interview and get Freedom's take on the bear. Hey, Freedom. Hey, how's it going? Good. You look great. God, I haven't <laughs> seen you in, in two years at least. At least. Yeah. Two and a half, really. Probably. Yeah. Probably. I don't think I've seen you pre-pandemic. Tell me a little bit how you survived the pandemic. I mean, we're still in it, but... What were you doing 2020, 2021? We kind of had that, like, you know, everyone knew something was happening. Then we're like, all right, everything's shutting down. So then we like shut a mono down and like, I had to lay like all my staff off via tax and then get all their payroll ready. And then my wife, she does finance. So her office was done. School was closed. And then I think maybe I stayed like three days. And then finally I was like, I'm just going home. <laughs> and then they were cool about it. You know, they were like, all right, we understand. And I was like, no, I can't homeschool and work from home. 
like she was like on her computer on a chessboard on top of the dining room table. And like my kids were going crazy. So I homeschooled and I did some Zoom cooking. It was interesting. Like companies reached out and started like, hey, would you be interested in doing like team building for like tech groups? So they'd send me the ingredients, ring light, cord, and I would just set up my kitchen and then I'd have a host click in on the Zoom and we would do, we'd cook risotto, paella sometimes. <laughs> so it was like, whatever. I was like, you know, you still had to make money and that didn't really affect us. I obviously collected unemployment, but yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird time. I don't think anyone really knew what to do with no. the free time. No. And I think it was really weird because it's like, oh, it's going to be like two weeks. Oh, it's going to be like a, a month. And then you're like, wow, it's like keeps going. And then you're like, all right, like we're in summer now. And now we're like in fall. (laughs) But I think it's really hard that people adjust now because it's going to take, you know, you're forced to not work for a year and a half. And then I think a lot kind of settles in and then you're like, okay, can you give me that like 200% effort you used to give me? (laughs) I I don't know if I want to, and I'm still freaked out because of the past two years. Oh my gosh. Crazy. So you're back at Amano. Back at Amano. I went back, I guess it's been over a year and a half. Back at Amano, I opened our sister restaurant that I consult on the menu for up on Fillmore, California street. It's called the Taylor Sun. How's that doing? Yeah, it's doing okay. well. I got a really good review in the Chronicle about a year ago. It's definitely it's more efficient as like a neighborhood restaurant. You know, it's like Amano is down in the theater district. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of, and it's in Hayes Valley, which is Hayes Valley. So it's like, you know. Again, 20 years ago, someone said Hayes Valley is what it is today. You'd be like, no way. <laughs> you know? Oh, Hayes Valley to me is probably one of the most gentrified neighborhoods. Like you would not, you would absolutely not believe Hayes Valley in the 90s as well yeah. as today. Yeah. When I moved here 20 years ago, I dropped my U-Haul off underneath that overpass and that was like a rough neighborhood. You know, there was Marlena's and yes. there was like fried chicken restaurant and that was like about it. And there was a Jewish deli and that was like about an absinthe. And that was like about it. And, uh, that fried chicken place, Pal's Kitchen, yeah. that was the best. That was classic. And then, oh, yeah, it's so good. And then, so and then I was Subla, and you're like, wow, that's such a. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, good. I'm glad you know you made it, and Amato made it, and Taylor Sun made it. I just hope that you know the next variants and the next waves, we don't have to close down, and we go through this roller coaster, and more places shut down for good. Yeah. You know, that's all I, you know, that I think that's probably in the back of my mind. What do you think about that, about what's coming? I feel like there's definitely gonna be like another wave of something because obviously it's winter time and it seems like, you know, and when you work in our industry, it's like soon as fall hits, you know, pre-pandemic, it's like, that's when everyone starts getting cold and sick because everyone's like touching a doorknob, touching an ice machine or touching, you know, every, and then a coughing in their hand. And so now it's like, it's going to like, you know, but now it's like, it's not just your typical, like, oh, flu. It's like, it's something else. And so, you know, and then you were just, I think, hopefully a little bit prepared for it, but it's, you know, it's just every day is like a roller coaster. So you just don't really know what's going to happen. It's like, you're just literally flying by the seat of your pants. Exactly. So let's just segue right into the bear since you were talking yeah. about <laughs> flying by the seat of your pants. You've watched the whole show, the entire, yeah. the entirety of it. Yeah. Really quickly. Just what do you think about the opening about the dream? And then mm-hmm. when he wakes up and he's just running. Yeah. I think I kind of like the whole show. I, I liked it. I liked it. It was, it was cause it was very entertaining. There were some things that, that hit it. And then that, that running part, you're just kind of like, man, it's like, you know, and, and just pre pandemic, you know, like when the restaurants were just thriving and you're just cranking to mass numbers and like, 
you feel like things are like kind of crumbling and you're just like your mind is just like like holy shit i'm fucking like beyond working like any human type like force of speed and then i think yeah i like that part you know it's like it's super serious and and sometimes your your just mind and brain just like catches up where you're feeling like you're in a race yeah, yeah it's like the racing and i thought like what i thought was like you know you start with that nightmare because we've all had these nightmare dreams yeah. Or the, the work nightmares. When, what was the, what was the last time you had a work nightmare? Or some, I, you know, honestly, I've had a work nightmare in a long time. When I first started cooking, I think my worst like nightmare was like the ticket machine. I was working in a restaurant. I was like 21 years old. I was in Seattle. I'm from Seattle and I got a job, you know, a friend was like, Oh, you know, get this job down here. It's like pretty much like Fisherman's Wharf of Seattle. And I'm working at the station. There was just like, we were just doing like 800 people. And like, I just remember my ticket machine was just like, just going off. And like the chef just like looking at me and was just like, just give me eight of everything. And I'll sell it. It's <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> there's like no system, no nothing. And then just, I remember like waking up in the middle of the night and then just having that sound like, like almost like, yeah, it's like, you're getting shot at or something. You're like a gun going off. And, uh, I agree because those ticket machines, there's that certain noise, you know, chink, yeah. chink, chink, you know, and they don't stop. Yeah. And then the best is like, you know, it's like a year in the pandemic year into it. I remember so a chef like posted a picture of a ticket machine and it was like, he was like, who would ever think you had missed this thing? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> oh, <yeah." laughs> That's a good post. So another thing about th- this show, which I do like, I do. I agree with you. I think they get a lot right. What do you think about Carmi's tattoos? Carmi's tattoos and the way he kind of dressed reminded me of like when the whole like animal butchery scene was coming, like, I don't know, 13 years ago when everyone wanted to be a butcher and he had like these tattoos and you kind of the, the grumpy shirt and like the big forearms. And I was like, ah, oh, that's like, that takes me back there. Of like when, you know, it was like, Oh, I can butcher a whole pig or this restaurant does whole animal butchery or like in Kanto or something. And you're just like, you're just kind of like, ah, eh, you know, it's like, but then you look at kids now and they're like, you know, he had like a 20 year old, 23 year old kid come in the other day and he said he was a chef around the corner. He had like hand, tattoos all over himself and on his hands, like 23 and your hands are already tattooed. Like, what's the point <laughs> yeah and then i don't know to me i've always felt like 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 line cooks obviously you don't see them any like it's a i think being a chef is like really hard and it's gonna it might be a career that's gonna phase out someday it's gonna be sad if it does but like when i moved to san francisco i felt like line cooks were like described as like the last american cowboy you know like even bartenders and everyone in that industry because you just like you just went and you cooked, you had fun, you got silly after work, and then you went back and did it again. And then you're like, I'm not going out tonight. And then I was like, well, just one. You're like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta have something to cut the edge. But no matter what, you show up to work on time, you busted your ass. So I think the tattoos is definitely kind of like, I think that's kind of more on the silly part, you know, and it's like that kind of like, you know, social media, like chef look, you know, like you, the blue apron and the shirt and the tattoos and cigarette. I think all I needed like a, was a scotch next to him or a whiskey. <laughs> and he would have had the whole cliche look. Yeah, I had the whole cliche. Yeah. Maybe a PBR too. Oh, and, and the tall boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you think about systems? Because systems are such a big thing 
Yeah. And, you know, Carmi is going to try and change the systems. Why, why is that so threatening? Why are people so opposed? Other than people don't like change. We know that. Yeah. But what, what is it? it? Every restaurant, I think almost every bar, every bar or restaurant that somebody comes in and tries to like do one thing differently, it mm-hmm. is utter anarchy and everyone yeah. loses it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, it takes everyone out of their comfort zone. And, you know, it's like when you kind of come in, it's like, like a consultant will come in and be like, oh, you know, like you're taking steps one through 10. And you're like, but if you do this, you're kind of going steps like one, four, six, and 10, and then taking that one through 10. I think that takes people out of their comfort zone, especially like an establishment that's been around for a long time. And you get your people who do their everything they do every day. And it's like clocking in and, you know, you do this at eight o'clock and then at eight 30, you do that. And then all of a sudden someone comes in and is like, well, I want you to do like more in less amount of time. And, and sometimes like doing that is like more efficient because when you're doing those like everyday routines, there could be more could be done. You know, it's like when you go like a classic is like, Hey, when you go into the walk-in to put something away and you see something that needs to get like consolidated, you should just grab it and come out and like consolidate it. But people, it's easier just to go in the walk-in, look at it and then walk out. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, and I feel like now, like with the, the, with the restaurants reopening, it's like, there's so many new systems, you know, it's like, online ordering system, the toast where you just pay at your table and then you just have a tablet, you know, or the, or you use a QR code and, and you're just like, so you like, you don't really have a server. You just have a food runner. And then, uh, yeah, it takes away the whole experience. And then, so yeah, it's just like systems are just so interesting and it's so hard to break people of bad habits and of just old systems. And you're like, you know, it's like, you can't always live with an old system and you got it. Like every, every day I've always trying to think of like, how can we do this better and more efficient without like working way too hard, but not working at all. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. What about, you know, the flashback that he has about the high end restaurant? Have you ever worked at that level? I wouldn't say at that level, but I think, you know, when I first started cooking, because I moved to San Francisco to be a chef. And it's that, yeah, like I would show up to work, you know, half hour, 45 minutes early, like on my way to work, I would think about how I can actually set my station up faster. There was more on my plate to do to get my station set up, you know, and then I think more or less, it's just like your chef is just someone who you like really respect and look at. And it felt almost like that parenthood where you, the last thing you want to do was like disappoint that chef. Cause that was just like heartbreaking. And if you're like, if you just like did something and then they just ripped you a new one. It was just like, fuck, that like really sucked. And, and I think that where he kind of, you know, it's like, cause when you in that you know zone and you're like, the last thing I want to do is piss my boss off or this person off. Cause they're highly respected. And then all I want to do is just like be the best and maybe outdo everyone so I can shine. So I've been in environments, you know, not as fine dining, but where you're just like, I'm going to show up and I'm going to fucking do everything. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to find how to make it work. Cause I, the last thing I want to do is like have a crappy day at work and then get talked to, or even like talk to after work about like things I could have done better when you're like, I thought I was doing pretty good. Have you, as have you ever spoken to somebody in that manner? No, not at all. I luckily, I've I couldn't see you doing that. No, usually I think a lot of my focus is like growing as, as like, I think it was like, being a line cook and then walking away from all the chefs I've worked for is like taking a little bit from them. 
And I think it's just like when you're on the line and you're like noticing something, it's best to just kind of like, Hey, like maybe like, Hey, let's, let's not, let's not sell that. Like, and then kind of explain to him briefly of like why we're not going to do that and then explain to him. And then I think it's more of like showing them how to do it. Right. Or even just tasting it. But it's like, you know, having like, Hey, did you taste that? And then you know, I, it's, and then believe me, when we came back from the pandemic, it was really awkward to cook food and be like, and then taste it and like throw the spoon away. But you're like, it's just weird to be like, or should we taste this food? You're like, <laughs> you know, you're like, like we shouldn't taste it because people are buying it and they want to come here and eat. But you're like, but everyone's like, you know, it's like a hand sanitizer, washing your hands. And then they're using a spoon and I'm like, taste it and throw the spoon away and then put salt in it. But then I got to taste it again. Cause it's enough salt. <laughs> you're like, so just, it's just the same, you know, like cocktails, you know, you're sticking your straw in there and then you're like, Oh my God, I just went through like 10 straws. I'm like, <laughs> right. But I've never really verbally abused anyone. I, for me, I just feel like it doesn't get me anywhere. Cause it's just going to shut someone down. And then I'm going to get the, I'm going to get like the worst out of them. Because like when you rip someone like that, there's like really no coming back. And then now you're like, I don't even know if they'll come back to work. Yeah. What do you think about Sydney? I love Sydney. I thought the show was really about her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just, I just loved it. How she sees the problems and she wants to do better and she knows it can do better. Yeah. And then you to see her frustration through that whole show. Her character was like, it's like you need restaurants need people like that, but people like that need the support. You know, it's like if, you know, Carmi wasn't going through all of his issues and he was there to be like the backbone, I think obviously the show wouldn't be as funny and because <laughs> it would just be <laughs> actually changing, changing, a, turning into a successful restaurant much faster than uh, all the episodes. But no, it's like, she's like a good example of like someone who, you know, like the ordering guides, the system of like where things go or checking consistency. And if like people could follow like chefs like that, you know, then things make come so much easier. But it's like, I think if she had just more support, that's what it takes. You know, it's like, it's like my front of the house manager at both restaurants, you know, like they're my best friend, you know, it's like, we were in there together. And um, you got to support each other. If you don't, like, you know, it's not going to happen. And I think uh, I liked her a lot. And, you know, she's definitely had that very millennial, like a new chef <laughs> attitude. Cause it was like, you know, definitely people hate changes. Like we said earlier. And then, and, and people don't like new views of someone looking at something, especially when it's someone younger, but yeah, I liked her out of her character. I, it'd be interesting to see if they made a new series of it, like how it should excel, but. No, I, I agree. Let's talk about Richie. Love him or hate him. He kind of annoyed me, even though he's everyone, every restaurant, bar, work, industry environment has a loud mouth. <laughs> you know, it's like you always got the guy. But it's like, I felt like they over excelled his character just a touch too much. Because so it's just like, you know, you get a loud mouth and then they kind of get corrected and then they're quiet again. And then a couple of days later, they volume starts coming back up, but, you know, but you get something out of the, out of that person, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, you might be kind of a, a you know, this person might be kind of a shit, but like they come through. So I felt like he was just there, just like, not really like just creating more problems. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did not like Richie at all. No. And then the very, very, very last episode, something kind of clicked and I warmed up to him Mm -hmm. because exactly what you said, every bar, every restaurant has a Richie and I can't stand working with them, with the Richies. But then you see like Tina, 
she loves him. They hug each other. They have all this yeah. mystery and you're like, well, what am I missing? He's still kind of a dick, but you know, like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I think that was just kind of obviously the history probably because of the brother who on the restaurants, so they probably worked, you know, it's like, I mean, it'd be, I always thought it's like, I would like to see the, how this place ran before it was taken over, even though it was like grimy and kind of funky and like what his character is just like, they just threw him in and you're like, okay, this is guys just allowed. <laughs> and then, so the scene or the episode where Carmi and Richie, they have to go do the hot dog or, you know, they, they're catering that kids. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's pretty low for Carmi, you know, coming from this elite and now he's catering you know, this hot dog party. <laughs> Have you ever had to do something like that? I'm, I haven't had to do catering, but during the pandemic, I did some consulting and I'm not going to say the name of the restaurant, but it was a brewery. And I was just like, we were just like sitting there and it was like cooking cheeseburgers. And I was just like, oh my God. And then just like, you know, to go food. And then Sometimes we just would not be busy at all. And I was like watching Netflix on my phone (laughs) and and then cleaning and washing dishes. And uh, it's just like, you know, when you get kind of in your career and then you're just like doing something that seems like you wouldn't be doing. And then you're just like, this is doing this. Okay. And I feel like I've never, I did some catering once. I I never done too much catering, but I've definitely been that pandemic cooked in, you know, in an environment where I was like, the hell am I doing? <laughs> I think a lot of people did that during the pandemic. Like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, picking up side gigs wherever anybody could. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the same brewery was like, oh, can you come down? And I was like trying to come up with like a street taco menu. And I was like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I make tacos at home for my kids. Like. <laughs> Now you want me to make tacos for the public? I was like, yeah, that was, that was an interesting, but I think, yeah, I think that's about as close as I've got is like out of my comfort zone and trying to like do something that to make someone happy that you're just kind of like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this? I really need this money. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, 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 exactly. And then the whole thing, I didn't understand this. And maybe this is like some inside thing, the ketchup and the hot dogs. Yeah. I always put ketchup on hot dogs. Really? Yes. <laughs> I don't like ketchup and hot dogs. I never have. My kids do. I don't, I feel like because a hot dog is already kind of sweet because it's like, you know, that, you know, that snap of the skin and then the kind of the mortadella inside. And there's in, I, to me, I'm acid. And so it's like relish and mustard. So spice and relish mustard to compensate the hot dog. I'm honestly, I don't really a big fan of ketchup at all. Like I mix it with my mayonnaise when I eat French fries. <laughs> <laughs> and growing up is funny. It's so funny because I like I, you know, would see people do it and they're like, oh, that's a European thing. <laughs> they're like, mixing mayonnaise and ketchup. And uh, now, you know, I did it. I was like, this is actually kind of delicious. <laughs> this combination is delightful. Who would yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just the bun and then just the kind of because ketchup is sweet too, because it's sweet, salty, and acidic. And then with the hot dog, it just, yeah, just like the flavor profiles. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that at all. I was like, yeah. "Oh wow, I'm really missing something in the hot dog connoisseur world." You know, I'm, I'm my my faux pas of ketchup. It was like when everyone was asking if a, if a hot dog's considered a sandwich. Is and it? I, to me, I feel like it is, but some people are like, "No," because the like I because like when I was doing Zoom cooking, people were always asked like, "What were my thoughts?" Were and I was like, "Yeah, it's a sandwich." Like, well, it's closed on one side and it's a tubular. 
So isn't it like what makes a sandwich like why is it not a sandwich? Because it's not flat. What do you yeah. think? Okay. That's wow, that's I wouldn't I that's new to me too. <laughs> the controversy of hot dogs over yeah, sandwich. You know, and then it's so it's like, okay, well, is what makes it a you know, it's in between two pieces of bread. And what's the difference between a burrito and a wrap? Oh god, that is <laughs> no. Don't don't say burrito and wrap in the same sentence. Freedom, no, come on, that <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. So I that that's a great point. When you see Sydney and Tina working together finally, yeah, right? and like Tina has this great pride over her mashed potatoes. Yeah. What did that What did that whole scene say to you? That was like. I like that touched me because I definitely had a mashed potato scene in my cooking and career. You know, I was at that restaurant in Seattle and we would just boil, we had mashed potatoes on all kinds of side dishes and on steaks. And then I remember the chef was just like, oh, you just boil and throw them in the mixer, throw the butter, throw the cream in there. And like, yeah, mashed potatoes, they're kind of soft and wet and they're like, okay, there's a buttload of cream and butter in them. And I remember like when I first came, like first, like I made mashed potatoes and this guy was like, oh, we're going to boil them with the skins on. And I was like, well, how are we going to like puree them? He's like, well, you're not going to puree them. You're going to make mashed potatoes. You know, mashed potatoes shouldn't be like, like whipped, you know? And so, so like, I remember we were like, cooked the potatoes and it was like the longest procedure to make some mashed potatoes, but they were delicious. Pulled them out of the water, put them in the oven. So they kind of dried out, pulled the skins off and then put it through a ricer, which is like a food mill. And then using a spatula to fold in the cream, the butter, and then we put a little salt and white pepper into it. And then I was like, wow, okay, like now I understand. Like I've been not making mashed potatoes correctly for like <laughs> a few years of my cooking career. And honestly, it's a lot more structure and work into it, but you get that like that joy of like, okay, like I get it now. And I still like I had every Thanksgiving, that's how I make my mashed potatoes. <laughs> nice. Oh, I love it. But I just I really enjoyed that scene where again you see Tina like learning and like yeah. she has like such pride. Yeah. And that's like, you know, people like when they make something and they understand it, it's like when you taste, like when someone, like when you see someone else make something and then they taste it and you see them kind of smile and understand it then they, they get it. And it's like, you know, it's like, like, I don't know, I guess you like your job, but if you're going to do something for a living, you should like enjoy it. But then if you're like enjoying something new and then tasting something like, then that's awesome. Cause then you're going to always make it that way. I mean, that was such a good scene. I mean, there's a lot of, again, just a lot of moments, I think, in that show that they just get so right. Yeah. You know, it's not exactly what you're saying. It's it's a little silly, a little over the top, but a lot of it, they really kind of get the heart and the sentiment. Like episode seven, right? Where everything goes wrong, right? You know, (laughs) like (laughs) Sydney stabs Richie, everything goes wrong. Have you had a day similar like that day well yeah just recently not someone where we got stabbed or anything but when we in we introduced the uh, tablets like the expediting tablets so like the expediter now doesn't get tickets they just have a screen and then the tables start flashing up mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's just like it was just like wow like i don't get a ticket and then all of a sudden you're like Oop, there's a like table 23 and you're like oh, table 60 table 40 and you're just like it's just coming up and and then the kitchen's getting tickets so I'm like, well, they're getting tickets. They know what's going on. And then you're on this side and you're just like, everything's coming at you. And then you're just like, well, 
then your whole like game changes to where you're like focusing on every single little thing instead of just like, oh, they gave me table 23, this, 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 and this. And then you're like, now you're like, well, they just gave me all this food. Now it's like a puzzle that I have to pitch. <laughs> and then you're like, a ticket comes up here and then one comes up here and then you saw it there and you're like, oh shit, it's supposed to go to that one. Because <laughs> like, it's like, and it was like the first two weeks of using the, the monitor on the expo station was like mind boggling. And then just like staring at the screen for so long. And you're just like, you know, and it's, it was so easy for things to just go to the wrong table or not get grouped together. But definitely that day felt pretty chaotic. And when you're just doing like a full board service with no printer, just a giant screen. Oh, uh, I'm already getting stressed for you. So yeah, so then we, and, so we still do to-go food, but we shut it off like when it gets too chaotic. But then all of a sudden you're getting tickets and then you start getting to-go food. And you're just like, well, what do I get? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. It's like, you need three minds, right? Yeah. Or yeah, three heads, three minds to like watch all of that. And then you put it at the to goes, my God, that's like I said, I'm already getting stressed for you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that episode was done really well. Yeah. And I laugh and almost cry at the same time when Carmi is not responsive to Marcus and Marcus, like he just, nah throws the donuts down. Have you been, have you ever been like a Marcus in that situation where it's just like you tried so, 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 so hard and somebody just didn't. Yeah. I think there's definitely like dishes like I've thought of and I was just like, man, I've been thinking of this dish like all night, been like watching YouTube videos on like how to execute something that's like out of my comfort zone. And then I feel like I make it and it's like really good. And then you know, like when I was a line cook, everyone wanted to be the best line cook. So you're like, dude, I got this new dish. Let's try it. Like, My dish sucks. <laughs> you're like, what? Like, no way. <laughs> and then you're just like, no, they're just saying it sucks because they, they don't, you know, they're just like, we're trying to outdo each other. And then later on down the road, you kind of compromise with that dish and then you kind of format it into something else. And then it ends up coming onto the menu, but just not that first way you executed it. Oh, that sucks. Oh, <laughs> the worst words and the worst feedback. And they show Carmi, going back to Carmi, what he eats when he's off, when he's not cooking. And it's a, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, that that's like... Because I do know a few chefs that eat fast food and that's it when they're not cooking. Yeah. You know, obviously that's not all, but what, yeah. what do you think about that portrayal? That was kind of like, I didn't get it because after I got done working like a, you know, a 11 hour shift, I don't think the last thing I'd want to do is go home and make myself a peanut butter jelly sandwich. I've definitely eaten many like electric burner quesadillas. <laughs> just be like, I'm not going to use a pan. I'm just going to do it on the burner or a microwave quesadilla, you know, throw the cheese on there, throw it in there 30 seconds. Yeah. I didn't really get it. The whole like going home and eating a jelly sandwich and then having a Coke and not smoking a cigarette and falling asleep. Uh, in my area, I generally probably went out and had a couple of beers and then got a burrito and went home and then ate it and passed out. I woke up in the morning and didn't realize I didn't finish the burrito. So I considered maybe having it for breakfast. So. Yes. <laughs> Why not? Of course you should. And another thing that I, I appreciated is that they show Carmi's cookbooks. And sometimes, yeah. you know, with the cookbooks, it's almost like a snotty thing. Or mm -hmm. it was, you know, it. I don't know if it's still considered snotty, but I like the cookbooks. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, and what, what ones do, do you have any cookbooks? And if so, what are a couple of your favorites? 
Those are my favorites. I have like a lot of just older books I've gotten recently. It's like I got this one of like, it's like Chris Cosentino gave it to me and I didn't really get a chance to look at it. It's just this massive, like a Daniel Ballou cookbook. And it's like just seeing like the old style, like French cooking, European cooking, Italian cooking, old pasta cookbooks. And definitely like, you know, there's all those, like the Noma book he had and the Bennu and, and I do own those books. And I've like, I remember buying them when they first came out and it's like $80 for a cookbook. And you're like, and then now I look at them and I'm like, maybe I should sell these. Like, I'm never going to make anything out of these cookbooks. And then actually during the pandemic, I took a break from reading cookbooks and just like focused on just reading other things, you know? And then about three weeks ago, I decided to pick up the Alice Waters Chez I know so much about her and she's a huge, you know, did amazing things. And we hear so much about her, but I actually, it was, it's a great book. It was basically her whole story, how she became and how she was and through her whole life and how Chez Panisse was just a house. And they were cooking on a home stove and their walk-in was actually like three refrigerators in the back with a plywood covering it. And, and that was like my first, like actually like book I read. And then you see like, you know, Acme bread is in there. Cause I was a bus boy who was testing bread and now he owns a massive company. Laurel Chanel goat cheese is in there. Cause she used her goat cheese. Judith Roger from Zuni Cafe is in there and she was like this lunch sous chef. And it is a cool story because you see so many names and you're just like, wow. But like, and the one dude, the- Jeremiah Towers is in there. Yeah. His section is definitely, and there's some things in the book. I feel like a lot of people don't know about it and it is pretty, there's some dirt, but it's worth reading, but it's like, it's a cool Hell yeah, book. there's dirt. Oh my God. The 70s, <laughs> Berkeley. I just like, I'm just like, I need to probably get back into reading cooking book cookbooks, but I'm just like, I don't know. It's like, I just, it's like when people's like, oh, have you tried this new pizza? I was like, I make pizza like every day at work. Like, (laughs) 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 yeah, I, I, yeah, it's not, it's hard for you to get excited about flour and water right now in the pizza pizza world. (laughs) I love it. So, okay. So, if the bear was filmed in San Francisco, right? What would you, what would be its challenges, do you think? Definitely staffing. Location. <clears throat> you know, I was like, we're always like, I was like, ah, I would like to do something on my own. But I'm like, where would you put it? You know, so I feel like San Francisco kind of has its hot spots and then they just go away. You know, it's like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Valencia Street was like the place to be. And then it was like Divisadero. And then it was like Tender Knob. And then it was South of Market. And then now it's Hayes Valley. And it's just like, I think, uh, all to find that key neighborhood is kind of hard. You know, it's like thinking back on our times, you know, before Uber and Lyft, when you would go like, let's go to the mission. And you're like, you know, you would go to Doc's Clock and then you would end up over at Laszlo and then you would end up over there. So you were kind of forced to be in a neighborhood and you're not like, let's just go here, get in my car and drive all the way across the city to go somewhere else. That's cool. And then go all the way across to another. So you're like forced to stay in one area. And I think that's, what's the heart of the city's weather is like, what is that? area that's going to have like the successful restaurant or even grasp the neighborhood where a neighborhood is going to want to eat there like more than once a month. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I see that. And I definitely see the staffing issue, which I think goes into a bigger issue of housing and how unaffordable the city is to live. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's nuts. I mean, it's kind of gone down a little bit. A little bit. But it's like if you live in like the outer sunset and you work in the mission and you got off work at a, you know, midnight and you're going to get home to like two in the morning if you took public transportation. 
And then you're yeah. still paying high rent. And then you can take an Uber. It's going to be like 25 bucks. So if you're in the service industry, that's a chunk of your tips. And if you did that four nights a week, you know, you're just like, it's a hundred bucks to get to, to get home. Such a huge issue, which, you know, goes into staffing. Where do you want to see restaurants go? I just want to see restaurants just continue, you know, me as like, I just want to see like more fun food, less serious, more welcoming, very inviting, like. I'm not a big fan of reservations. It's like at Amana, we don't take reservations because it's just like, you know, everyone's welcome. We'll get you in there. And But it's just like, yeah, I just feel like I just, I think like, like all the situations we've been in, it's just like, I, I don't want, I would like to see more restaurants just kind of very, more neighborhood driven, very friendly, not so serious, not trying to prove a point, getting good value, seeing the creativity, you know, Obviously, like the QR codes is a hard one because I want to like have the server describing the bottle of wine or or even just be like, hey, what's your favorite glass of wine that goes with this dish? And then hear them kind of explain and get excited about, you know, some stuff like that. Thank you, Freedom. And I would like to see the same things happen in restaurants as well, but they obviously continue. And there is a neighborhood and a community aspect to them. I really miss that about restaurants and I really miss that about restaurants in San Francisco. So I I hope that can come back. And again, just a huge thank you to Freedom, who took the time out of his very busy schedule to talk to me. And as the bear shows, chefs don't have a lot of free time at all, because they're always working. So again, I truly appreciate Freedom sitting down and talking about the show and restaurants in San Francisco. So go visit him and eat at Amano in Hayes Valley. And like I've said before, I I do think that the bear gets a lot right. And I am waiting for the second season to see what happens to the whole gang. And, you know, I think they have to uh, answer some of our questions, right? Especially about the last family meal and what Carmi finds in all those cans. So second season, we're on it. And thank you again for listening. Please rate and review Booze Nation, the podcast. It really helps. And remember, please tip your bartenders. Thanks. Thanks.